Good morning. Good morning. So we're walking through the Gospel of Mark once again. We're going to be in Mark chapter 2, if you want to turn with me there. And as I was putting this together, you know, i got to tell you, it is so much fun walking through the Gospel of Mark, hearing about Jesus, because he's doing so many things in this Gospel that we read about. We looked last week at the issue of of leprosy and how that symbolically represents sin and how Jesus is the only cure to overcome that. And there's so many cool stories in Mark like that of healings, of, of great things and stuff. And we come to another one this morning. It's actually one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's about the healing of the paralytic. Remember that one, Sunday School Kids? The healing of the paralytic. It's a story where literally four men take a guy on a roof, rip a roof apart, and then lower their friends down by some cords and rope into the midst of the crowd in this house to Jesus and uh, bring their friend to Jesus for healing. Um, they make an unintentional skylight in this house. In fact, I'm guessing this is the first actual skylight in history, you know, that Jesus ushered this in through a healing miracle. So with that said, we need to realize that part of our job our calling, our ministry as, as Christians, is to make unintentional skylights in people's houses, isn't it? Because what does a skylight do? Well, a skylight opens up for the sun to shine into the darkness, into the enclosed area of the house, and that's what we're called to do, is to bring that light of Christ into the house. So what we're going to look at this morning in a fun little way, because Mark is so fun with his gospel and what he has to share with us is, I'm going to challenge each one of you in the room today to apply for a job to work for the company called the Faith Skylight Company. Right? Sound good? We're all going to be skylight makers in, in people's houses. Now, i got to tell you this. Um, in the Faith Skylight Company, the wages are not so good. In fact, there's no wages at all. But the benefits are phenomenal right retirement benefits are fantastic so keep your eyes on the prize focus on the retirement benefits because in the face skylight company that i'm going to ask you all to apply for uh, you know it's a good thing when we finally get there now i don't know when the last time was you interviewed for a job anybody <laughs> nobody nobody's working in this room anymore we're all unemployed <laughs> that's great last <laughs> I just, yeah, I interviewed. But the last time you interviewed for a job, you know, you always have those questions where they try and catch you off guard or something to see what you say. Well, I came across a couple things, some humorous statements of, that people actually said in interviews. Now, we'll go through about seven of them, and you tell me if you think these people were hired or not. So here's a couple of my favorite comments that people made during job interviews. First one was this. Excuse me. <laughs> Can I have a cup of coffee? Coffee? I think I may still be a little hungover from last night. Number two, I was fired from my last job because they were forcing me to take anger management classes. Number three, if I get the job, how long before I have to take the drug test? Number four, um, can we speed this up? I've got other places to go. Number five, uh, as we're looking at this job, it's probably best for your other employees if I don't work with people. <laughs> Number six, um, in picking out a company I'd like to work for, I'd prefer to work for a company that is very lax on the tardiness issue. <laughs> and number seven, my favorite, when asked to provide an emergency contact number, they put down 
911. <laughs> Funny stuff, but true. Now, I doubt any of these people were hired, right? <laughs> if they did, there's a whole new story coming in after this. But let's look at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, reading out a New American Standard about the Faith Skylight Company, about the incorporation of this first company as these four men bring their friend to Jesus, make the first skylight in history, and start a whole new era in society. So verse 1, when Jesus had come to Capernaum several days afterwards, it was heard that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no longer any room, not even near the door. And he was speaking the word or the gospel to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their face, said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But now some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their heart. Why does this man speak this way? He's blaspheming, for who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to a paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up, pick up your pallet, and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up immediately and picked up the pallet and went out of sight to everyone, so they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. Now this is a, one of my favorite stories because you just, I, I just, as I read this, I just picture everything in my mind that is going on here, right? So Jesus is back in Capernaum. He's there, he's at the home, he's in there. It says there were so many people filling this place that there wasn't even room clear to the door. And you can imagine people are crowding in all around here to hear the words of Jesus. You've got this mixed crowd. If you've got followers, you've got would-be followers, you've got doubters, you've got the religious leaders. They're all there, and they're in this huge crowd together just listening on the edge of every word of Jesus. And suddenly, here come these four guys with a friend that's been completely paralyzed. Now, here's the key that's in the story we don't read about. This paralytic was from this town. So who probably knew this guy had been paralyzed for all or part of his life? Everybody there, right? Everybody knew that this guy had paralyzed. So this wasn't a little illusionist setup of, hey, miracle healing, look at this, right? They knew who this guy was. They knew he was paralyzed, and he's sitting there, and his friends bring him up on top of this house and start ripping the roof apart on this house. And now it's not just a little hole. What kind of hole is this? It's got to be big enough to lower a pallet down with this guy on it, with them holding on the ropes and cords on the side, down to Jesus where the crowd is. Now, I get a kick out of this scene for a couple reasons. One, if I'm in there and I'm listening to Jesus and all of a sudden there's this ruckus up on the roof, 
the scratching, this banging, all of a sudden, you know, dirt starts falling down, palm leaves, maybe a little timber and everything. And I'm like, hey, I just did my hair this morning. What's going on? And all of a sudden, light begins to open up through the hole and the hole gets bigger and bigger and the debris just falling down. And I see these guys up there digging away. You know, my first thought is, especially if I'm the homeowner, is what? Stop it. Stop it. Who's going to pay for this, right? I mean, if you saw this going on, say you're one of the bystanders in there, and you saw this going on, I mean, wouldn't you say, what the heck is this? Why doesn't somebody put a stop to this? Who's going to pay for this, right? The other thing you'd probably think about is if you're in a house, a one-story house, and someone starts ripping the roof apart, is I want to take out my phone and do what? I'm going to call the police. This is ridiculous. Look at the damage that's going on. Besides that, we're being annoyed because we're trying to listen to Jesus, and you guys are ripping a place apart. It's kind of a funny scene, you know. Um, I can even imagine the guy on the pallet when people asked him later what he'd been doing that afternoon. He's like, oh, I was just hanging around Jesus. <laughs> okay. Anyway, <laughs> you know, but I'm bummed. You know, it's this hilarious scene that, I mean, you can just see all these people in this house, again, debris falling down, wondering what's going through their mind. Jesus is sitting there. He just keeps talking. And the people are ripping things off the roof. The people outside are looking up going, what in the world is going on? You can hear all the little scuttlebutt. The scribes are thinking, what is going on? As Jesus begins to speak to this guy. But Jesus says something very interesting in verse 5. If you go back and look at verse 5, he says this, which is something that we haven't talked about before. He says, and Jesus did what? He saw their faith. Now, we always talk about the fact that Seeing is not believing, right? But believing is seeing. That, that to see is not to believe. But Jesus says something interesting here. He says, he saw their faith. In other words, the first interesting thing about this, the first interesting thing is that faith is not invisible necessarily, right? I mean, we don't have to see to believe. But if we believe, it's saying that others can what? Can see. We don't see to believe, we trust in that faith, but when others see that we truly believe, they can literally see our faith. Isn't that interesting? And the Bible says here that Jesus, at the very beginning, he says he saw these four men on the roof lowering their friend down, and he saw their faith. This was faith in action, faith of these four men. As we talk about the Faith Skylight Company, I want all of you to be employed, okay? Get ready, fill out your application, because we want people that can create skylights in people's lives, can create skylights in families, can create skylights in the places where we work, where the light of Jesus shines through, and as Jesus looks at us, he can see what? Our faith. That's where we get to the Bible where we walk into heaven and he says, well done, my good and faithful servant, because he sees our faith in action. So let me give you the job description for uh, your employment at the Faith Skylight Company. You ready? Here's your job description. First thing, I need to care about hurting people. I need to care about hurting people. The story in Mark starts off with this. Some men came bringing to Jesus a paralytic. Now these four men may have been friends, relatives, we don't know who they are, but they had enough skin in the game with their friend 
that they picked him up and brought him to Jesus. And not only that, they tore off the roof to get their friend to Jesus. Now we think about this, there were probably hundreds of people around Capernaum that were wounded and injured, right? Leprosy, lame, blind, whatever it may be, uh, hurt from an accident, probably hundreds of people around the area that were wounded and needed the touch of Jesus. But like our story last week, there's only a small group that are seeking Jesus. Last week we saw in the story of the leper that he sought out Jesus. What we see here is we see a man who couldn't seek Jesus on his own. The picture would be that these individuals like this paralytic would have somebody set them out in welfare square somewhere around a pool or water place where people would come and places of trade and they would beg for handouts. That's what they would do because they couldn't earn an income on their own. They couldn't get to where they needed to be. So they were at the mercy of everybody around them. The interesting thing here is that their friends basically come up and they kidnap their friend in a sense and they take them, take him to Jesus and they do whatever they have to do to bring him to Jesus because they care that much about him. Now here's the practical application. In essence, it gives the story that some people can't just come to Jesus by themselves in a mindset, doesn't it? Some people need a little help. They need them to carry them to Jesus. And that's where God puts us in the crossroads of other people's lives to be able to usher them to Jesus. Now, we are not the saviors, right? There is only one savior in Jesus, but we can bring people to Jesus, can't we? These men had to have immense faith because of all the obstacles they had to overcome, but they had to care about this hurting person. The odds of them getting their friend to Jesus into this crowd, are they pretty high? Again, remember the scene? The house is packed with people that have squashed in there. The entryways are all blocked up with people. You know, you think of the walls on this place are built up, few windows. The roof has been thatched to where it's waterproof with mud and layers of, of palm and, and more mud and palm and, and all that going on to where it's waterproof. They have to find a faith way to get their friend to Jesus. That's a lot of faith, isn't it? Because their challenge is big. It reminds me of the kid who was out playing uh, Little League Baseball in a sandlot. And he's playing third base and an onlooker walked by and he looked up and he saw the scoreboard. And he looked at the kid and he goes, what's the score, son? Boy's pounding his glove on third base, and he's sitting there and he's rubbing his feet, and he goes, 42 to 0, their favor. The guy says, You're getting beat pretty bad. And the little kid looked up at him and smiled and goes, Nope, because we ain't been up yet. <laughs> right? That's kind of the faith of, of these four guys, isn't it? All the obstacles, they care about their friends so much that they don't care about what people think. I mean, can you imagine the people talking as these guys are carrying this pallet, they're finding a way to make a ladder or to build stuff up to get onto this roof, and then they just what? They start ripping. It's not even their home. Think of what everybody is saying. Can you imagine? Right? Or these guys are crazy. Or, and then, or there's some people like me going, hey, I'm gonna watch this. This is gonna be fun, right? Somebody's gonna get in big trouble. They didn't care about what people thought. They didn't care about other people's opinions. They cared about taking their friend to Jesus and do whatever it took to get him there. 
They cared about hurting people. Number two, the second thing in your job description is this. You've got to be willing to work with a team. No solo Christianity, no Christians on islands by themselves, hidden on a remote place away from the world. You've got to be willing to work with a team. It's interesting that we uh, talk about when we come to church, we come to fellowship, right? And the Bible says, do not forsake the gathering together, right? God created us to need each other, didn't he? Now, I'm kind of one of those people that I get a lot of energy from being by myself. And that drives Christy nuts because she gets a lot of energy from being around people. But still, irrelevant of how I think about that, I need to make myself be with others. The big thing about this is these men, these four men, had to work as a team. Now, one of them or two of them may have cared for the guy, but do you think they could have got them to Jesus by themselves? I don't think so. Again, I picture the scene. Maybe he's on Welfare Square. He's out by this pool where people would come to get water and to do trade. And to go out there, an individual, or maybe even two people, and pick up a pallet with a guy on it. Now, not as heavy as everybody else, because he's been laying there paralyzed for a long time. But to carry that pallet through the city to the house takes some effort, doesn't it? Any of you carried a small child or a puppy lately? <laughs> the older we get, the heavier they are, right? <laughs> we go 10 feet, it's like, I'm done. You've got to walk now. You're on your own. They carry them from Welfare Square in town to where this house is, wherever it was. They have to maneuver him through the people, through the crowd. They have to find a way on the roof. They have to dig through, and then they have to lower him down. It took teamwork. It took teamwork. They probably took turns carrying him, either all four of them carrying the pallet at once, or two of them and two of them. Then they had to maneuver him up on that roof and start ripping things apart. It took teamwork. John Maxwell has a saying about teamwork. He says this, it's the teamwork that makes the dreams work. Catch that? It's the teamwork that makes the dreams work. In other words, when we come together as a team, as a fellowship, as a church, God gives us the ability and the resources to overcome much. Much more than we could do by ourselves, correct? When we work as a team, we can do much more. Remember the game as a kid, Red Rover? Remember what you did? You locked hands, and the goal was to not let anyone else through? That's kind of like the church, right? We lock arms as a church, as a fellowship of believers, and when God throws a pig in our way, we catch him and bring him to Jesus for salvation. And then our team gets stronger. Someone else said that the team stands for this, an acronym, T-E-A-M. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Together, everyone accomplishes more. Point is this, the job description is, you and I got to work together as a team. We fill in someone else's weakness because they say the chain is only as strong as what? Its weakest link. So we have a weak link, we got to fill in for that weak link. Where we're strong, then we get behind that strength. We carry one another's burdens, we encourage one another in joy, but we come together as a team. You know the old saying that we joke about, well, you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with what? Family. Some of you know that today more than others. <laughs> right? 
I mean, we don't get to pick our family, but we do have to grow in life with how to work with them, okay? Number three in your job description of the Faith Skylight Company is this. You gotta see obstacles. You know, those speed bumps, those hurdles in life, those mountains, you gotta see obstacles as opportunities. Because in Christ, we can overcome all things, right? Isn't that what 1 Philippians 4.13 says? I can do all things, not by myself, not my own strength, but through Christ. The house itself was an obstacle. You know, we think about getting through the crowd, getting there. The house was built with black basalt stone in that time and then covered with plaster. Uh, there was only one door. They didn't have a back door to go into. And the windows were built up high so that when it rained, it wouldn't come in because they didn't have the glass or coverings to put on a window. There was no back door or anything, no ladder to get a stretcher up on a roof. They had to find a way to do it. And then the roof was a mixture of first they'd lay down these wooden timbers on these basalt walls, and then they start to cover them with palm branches, cover them with mud, palm branches, more mud, palm branches, more mud, until this became a thick mortar and became impervious to the weather, and uh, it was waterproof. So you can imagine this roof was not just this thin little roof. It was probably what? A good 8 to 12 inches thick or more, right? I mean, it had all these layers of palm and mud to make it waterproof. But these four guys didn't let obstacle, obstacles saw them. They saw the obstacle as an opportunity to create what? A skylight. First skylight in history. How cool is that? When you're with Jesus, you do cool things when you're seeking after him. Obstacles are opportunities in faith. They're a time we can put our lives in Jesus' hands. And as the old country song says, Jesus, do what? Take the wheel. You drive, I'm co-pilot, you're pilot, you're driver, I'm passenger, I'm going with you. Now I get a little kick thinking about that because someday y'all are gonna to have to ride with me with Christy in a car when I'm driving. I, I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> there's finger marks in the door and there's all kinds of other things, you know? And I use that to make kind of a fun point that when we trust God to get us there, we just have to trust him because the ride is not gonna be the ride we expect, is it? Now he may not drive like I drive, but it's gonna be a different ride as we get there. You know, we think about that and we think about the miracles of the Bible, how they weren't obstacles only in the minds of the people, but they were opportunities for faith. Remember a little story about couple tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that were in slavery in this little place called Egypt for 400 years, and God led them out, right? Get them out in the desert, and they're like, we're free, we're free, yay! And then they complain a lot, and then they go out there, and God's leading them, and they come to this big mass of the Red Sea. Wow. Now let's picture this mindset of obstacles and opportunities. Imagine hundreds of thousands of people following Moses out here. They get to this place and they're like, what? Are you serious? You led us to a dead end? How are we going to cross what? The Red Sea. We got children. We got animals. We got chickens, turkeys, lambs. We got carts. We got old people. How? What, what are you thinking? You lead us out here out of slavery 
through the desert, and now you lead us to a dead end, to a sea that we cannot cross. Well, here is where some Christians get a mindset of lack of faith. They come to this dead end and they say what? Huh, this must be God's obvious sign that I need to turn around and go back. Right? Do we see it in the people of Egypt? Don't we read about them later on going, oh, I missed the leeks and onions and garlic of Egypt. I wish I had that. Right? Sometimes Christians get in the mindset that they run into an obstacle and they don't see faith. They con themselves into saying, well, this is obviously God's sign to go back to where I was, back to my comfort zone to where Christianity is easy, right? But that's not what the sign was when they came to the Red Sea. It was an opportunity to trust in God, wasn't it? Moses comes up with his staff, he touches it, and the Bible says the water opened up. Now, we don't know how that did it, but they did it. But the Bible also says all those hundreds of thousands of people did what? Walk through the water to dry land. And when the Egyptians came, who served other gods and had no faith, and were following them to hunt them down, what happened? The waters came in and overtook them. You see the difference between obstacles and opportunities? When we come to God, he allows some things to come into our life that look like massive obstacles. But if God is really God, and he is really with us, those obstacles are really what? They're not a sign to turn around and go back. They're a sign to trust in him and go forward. Remember our Hudson Taylor quote? Everything that God does begins with the impossible, then when we trust God in the impossible, well, it becomes slightly difficult. And then as we trust God in that difficulty, well, then we find ourselves on the other end and it's done. It's overcome. Whatever God has for you in your life, it's an opportunity to trust in Him to overcome. I mean, think about what Jesus did. He overcame leprosy and blindness. He healed a paralytic. <laughs> He even overcame death. He's got a pretty good resume, doesn't he? I think he can overcome. Our problem is we always think the worst can happen, right? We see that Red Sea in front of us like we're going to die. The Egyptians are going to get us. They're going to torture us. They're going to kill us. They're not taking us back. They're going to kill us out here, and it's going to be painful. Isn't that where our mindset goes? We get to an obstacle, and we only think the worst because we don't see what God is doing. Again, that's where the faith comes. That's where God gave them the manna for a day so that they would trust God every day to provide for them and to get them through. Back in the 1800s, Alabama was known for its cotton plantations. Back in the time of slavery, right? Cotton was brought to Alabama and it made a lot of people rich. But somewhere around the early 20th century, something happened. Imported from Mexico, a little Mexican bull weevil made its way through Texas, and then from Texas drove its way across the nation into Alabama. And it literally destroyed the cotton crops in South Alabama. And by 1915, any cotton plantation that was still trying to plant co cotton was broken bankrupt. 
Seems pretty bad, doesn't it? Livelihood ruined, future's gone, everything you banked in was gone. Well, one farmer decided to plant a newfangled crop from South America called a peanut. Soon, other cotton farmers began to plant peanuts, growing thousands of acres of peanuts. And the interesting thing is, they made more money off of peanuts than they made off of cotton. Sometimes, when we look at a situation like that, we would see a bull weevil as an evil obstacle, wouldn't we? Something we can't overcome and overpower, and we would ask God, what are you doing in this situation? I've lost what? Everything. But it's interesting that when God gives us those seemingly impossible situations, the Bible says, like in temptation, he always provides what? A way of escape, an exit door, a way out. In times of opportunities, a way of faith to overcome. Doesn't the Bible call Christians overcomers? Not undercomers, not tuck tail and runners, not scaredy cats, but overcomers. It's interesting if you go back to the center square of Enterprise, Alabama, where the bull weevil first hit. Do you know what you'll find there in Enterprise, Alabama? You will find a monument to the bull weevil saying thank you for bringing us to peanuts. They took a bad thing and they made it good. That's what we do in God. We don't have obstacles. We have opportunities to trust God in faith. Number four, well, here's where you got to get creative. You kids all creative? You got to have creative solutions to the problems at hand. You think these first four employees of the, the Face Skylight Company had some creative solutions? Absolutely. The Bible says they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, they lowered the mat of the paralyzed man that he was lying on. Now again, picture this scene. They're bringing a paralyzed man to Jesus be, to be healed. Well, you'd think that's a good thing, right? Wouldn't you think the crowd would think that's a good thing? Well, people are still people. They still do stupid things. Can you see these guys carrying their buddy up first to the door saying, excuse me, will you let us through? We need to get this man to Jesus. Wouldn't that make sense? Wouldn't you think it would make sense that people go, oh my gosh, bringing a paralyzed man to Jesus. This is wonderful. Let him through. But human nature is what? I was here before you. You got to wait till my turn, right? Uh, excuse me, we don't have room for you. The place is crowded. You've got to find another way. Did you get a VIP pass? Well, no, then you can't enter. Human nature cuts people off, right? Puts them out. Human nature says, I'm here. I'm what's important. You're not getting past me, right? Remember at school when a kid cut in line in front of you? And you're like, what? Usually it was the big bully, like, bring it, right? We hated people cutting the lines. You sit in a grocery store, two people are going for the aisle, and all of a sudden one starts speeding up with their basket, right? And so you, what do you do? Well, you start speeding up too. It's like, I'm going to beat you there. Human nature is we have to be first. Same thing happened here. I imagine in my little mind that these guys came to the front door saying, excuse us, can you let us through? We have a paralyzed man here. We believe Jesus can heal, heal him. You get to see the miracle. That's going to be cool. Will you let us in? And the people say what? Nope, wait your turn. We were here first, right? 
So they find a creative way to get their friend to Jesus. Something completely out of the ordinary, uncanny, and actually at that time probably looked down upon quite a bit, right? They find a way to the top of the roof, and what do they start doing? Ripping a hole through, a good six foot by three foot hole in this roof so they can lower their friend down. Now it's interesting when you read the story, again, picture it, you're inside with Jesus. You're listening to him speak, he's talking, it's a crowded room, hot, sweaty, some people have cologne on, some don't, some need some cologne on, some need to take a shower, but you're in there, this hot, humid place, Jesus is speaking, everyone's quiet, and all of a sudden, you hear this ripping above you, and things start falling down. And you're like, huh, well that's annoying, how rude, right? The one thing we don't read in Mark chapter 2 is this. Do you read anywhere where Jesus looked up at the hole, saw them digging through the man of God who was just and right and says, guys, you need to stop. Do you read that anywhere? I don't. In other words, Jesus confirmed their actions that whatever we have to do to bring someone to Jesus is okay. Even if other people are like, oh, how rude. Who's going to pay for that? Jesus never tells them to stop, but what he does says, what the Bible does say is that he sees their faith. And he lets their faith continue in action. That's pretty cool. The other thing Jesus says is something interesting. He looks at the man when they finally lower him down. Again, just imagine the stuff is still falling down. They're lowering a the man down to be right where Jesus is. Just perfect placement, led by the Spirit of God, you know. He gets down. All these other people are probably frustrated because like, well, I was close to Jesus, and now this paralyzed man's coming in front of me. A cripple's getting in front of me. And Jesus looks at the man and says, son, your sins are forgiven. Woohoo! Right? The only one that picks up on this are the scribes, right? They're going, well, who does he think he is? God? Well, yes, of course he does. And in his spirit, he recognizes their, what they're thinking in their hearts. Jesus doesn't stop the men. In silence, he encourages them because of their faith. He doesn't convict the man. He doesn't even look at the man and say, dude, what is wrong with you? He can see what's wrong. He looks at the man when they lower him down. He says, son, your sins are forgiven. That's an odd statement. He doesn't say, by healed, right? He says, your sins are forgiven. And then as your little religious leaders are over here about, well, he's raining on our parade and only God can say something like that. He knows it and Jesus says this. So what's the bigger miracle? Forgiving a man his sins or telling a crippled guy, a paralyzed guy to get up and walk? What do you want to see? Which is harder? In my mind, it's almost like he's looking at these scribes saying, you do something. You're condemning me for what I'm doing. You're criticizing me for what I'm doing. You're backstabbing me and talking about me behind my back and talking amongst your little clique and group about what I'm doing, but you're not doing anything. Why don't you step up and do something? And of course they don't. They just want to talk behind his back, right? We'll talk about others, but we won't do anything. We'll be hearers, 
doers. But to prove who he is, what does Jesus do to the paralyzed man? And again, the whole town knows who this is. He says, pick up your mat and go home. Can you imagine the people that for the first time they see this guy step off his mat, pick it up on his own, and walk away? Now, this is still a funny scene. Because here's the four buddies up on top, and do they get any credit? No, the guy's walking out, carrying his mat, people are yelling, you know, the guys up on top are high-fiving each other, and the guy's carrying his mat out, people are like, wow, this is wonderful, this is great. The four guys get no credit. They probably only get the owner of the house coming up going, see you guys next week to fix this, right? No credit whatsoever. They weren't there for the credit. They were there to bring their friend to Jesus. That was the goal. Didn't matter what it cost them, that was the goal. But the guy walks out and the crowd's amazed. Don't know how much you guys know about the great Baptist preachers, Charles Spurgeon. I know you've heard of him, you've seen some of his quotes up here. But Charles Spurgeon was pastor of the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London around the 19th century. Uh, most theologians believe that there was one specific sermon preached in 1887 by Mr. Spurgeon that caused his congregation to explode in numbers. You know what the sermon was about? What passage he spoke out of? This one. This is the story that Charles Spurgeon spoke of on that Sunday in 1887. He titled his message, Sitting By, sitting by. He preached about the Pharisees and scribes and the teachers of the law who were content to sit by and talk about things as Jesus was performing miracles and doing something. He applied his message and the imagery of the Pharisees and the scribes who just sat by and talked and criticized and did nothing while Jesus was doing miracles to Christians who fill the church and are content to just what? sit by. In fact, as the story goes, in his message, he boldly spoke to those Christians in the church that Sunday, had to be a popular sermon, and said, those of you who are content to sit by and do nothing, you don't need to come back next Sunday because you're in the Lord's way. Wow. Church ended, everybody went home said that when Charles Spurgeon arrived at church the next Sunday, he wasn't prepared for what he found. It's as if every member went out and brought in three or four people who needed Jesus. Hundreds of people filled that church, and it kept going and going and lasted for years. They didn't care what people thought. They didn't want to sit by while Jesus did all the work and the miracles. They wanted to be Christian, Christ-like. So what do you think? You want to apply for the Face Skylight Company today? You care for hurting people? You see obstacles as opportunities? You find creative solutions to do whatever you got to do? You don't quit when criticized? And you're willing to work with a team? I hope you are. Because I just hired all of you. Welcome to the team, Face Skylight Company. Now what we need to do is go out and start building skylights. I don't care how you do it. I don't care where you do it. Just go out and build some skylights in families and people's homes. The love of Jesus would shine through. Amen?
Let's pray. Father in heaven, again, we thank you for your wonderful word and your message to us today as we go forward. Lord, we come to church to be revived, to be renewed, to uh, get our compass refocused back in the true direction we need to go. We pray, Lord, as we joke about the Faith Skylight Company, that you would use the impact of these four men of faith to speak to us in application, that we would not be willing to sit by while others or Jesus does all the work. Let us be Christ-like and do the work of ministry to preach the word of the gospel and to let our faith be seen. We pray, Lord, in this as we surrender our hearts to you that you would be glorified above all things. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen.